Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, We are in the fifth week of a series we are calling The Great I Am. And during this series, we've been looking at the eight statements Jesus makes about himself, all in the book of John, starting with these two words, I am. Um, I have a lot of content today, so I don't have time to give you uh, much of an exhaustive recap, but I will say this. So far, we have looked at John chapter six, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. Anyone who tastes of me will never hunger again. Uh, And then in the second week, we looked at John chapter 14, verse six, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And then last weekend, we looked at Jesus' statements in John chapter eight, where he says, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me does not have to walk in darkness, for they will have the light that leads to life. And we determined last weekend that that light is actually a flame, and if we follow the flame, we will have direction in our lives, we'll have correction when we need it, and ultimately it will carry us into salvation. Uh, Today, we are going to look at not one, but two I am statements that Jesus makes and that's because they are both contained in the same narrative. And uh, we're gonna go to John chapter 10 this morning. Uh, Again, don't have time for a recap, but I will say this. Jesus has just healed a blind guy and he's being questioned by some religious leaders and they're skeptical about what's what's taken place. And Jesus responds in true Jesus fashion. He tells a really lengthy story. So John chapter 10, verse one, and I apologize for the length of this, but I promise we'll unpack it in a very concise way. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but uh, climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. What he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice but they won't follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize that stranger's voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't quite understand what he meant, so he explained it further to them. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Again, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest, or more abundantly, as some translations say. He goes on and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he bounces and the sheep run away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing about the sheep, but I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I will lay my life down for the sheep. Now I know that's a lot to cover today, but we're gonna hone in on these two statements that Jesus makes of himself. He says, I am the gate for the sheep and I am the good shepherd. Uh, I love this graphic, and I don't know if Tim Santos is in here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing his praise one more time. He told me this week, he actually drew that graphic. So if you see Tim Santos running around anywhere, tell him that he does a great job and we don't pay him enough money and, and that's awesome. But uh, 
that's kind of a clunky title, right? I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd. And so if I could, I wanna combine those two statements together and do my best to title it with their central message. And with that, I wanna call our conversation today, I am laying down, I am laying down. Uh, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and then uh, we'll, we'll dive back in. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence here among us. God, I thank you that we can come together on a Sunday morning, lift our voices and shout and trust that you are doing more than we can see in the natural. And now as we go to the scriptures, the, the, the words on pages that you said actually have the capacity to transform our thinking and thereby our living, would you, would you speak to us? May our ears be open. May our hearts be open to receive what you have to say. And may we leave this place differently than when we showed up. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, I think one of my favorite things about Jesus and his teaching style is that Jesus was obsessed with stories. The Bible calls them parables. If that phrase is unfamiliar to you, uh, a parable is a fictional story that displays a spiritual truth. And Jesus used them all the time in his teachings. In fact, the apostle Mark says that he never taught without telling stories. He always shared stories. And I don't know if it's the child in me, the infant in me, or, or just the fact that I'm a little dense sometimes, but I like it when Jesus talks to me in stories. I think that Jesus understood that those of us who have a hard time grasping his truth might better be able to apply it to our lives if we saw it displayed in a story, because a story doesn't just appeal to the mind, it appeals to the heart. And ultimately that's where change takes place in the heart. But when we read these parables in scripture, there is a responsibility on our part that we need to remember, and that is character identification. Anytime you read one of these stories in scripture, we're supposed to ask ourselves, who am I in this story? And who is Jesus in this story? Only after we identify the characters of the story can we begin to accurately apply the truth of what Jesus is attempting to convey. And so since these two I am statements come on the heels of a parable, we need to do a little bit of character work before we can begin to apply what he's trying to tell us here. So let's start with the most obvious person in the story, Jesus. I say obvious because Jesus tells us exactly who he is in the text. He says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Uh, we'll come back to the gate in a few moments, but let me focus on the good shepherd because this was more than just a subtle hint to his audience this day. When Jesus makes this statement about being the good shepherd, it would have stirred up a bunch of prophetic imagery in the listeners this day because often in the Old Testament prophetic writings, God referred to himself as a shepherd to the sheep. Uh, back in Genesis uh, chapter 49, he is the shepherd rock of Israel. In Psalm 23, the one that all of us know, he is the shepherd that makes us to lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside the still waters. In Isaiah 40, he is the shepherd that carries his sheep close to his heart. In Ezekiel 34, he is the shepherd that ensures his sheep are never hungry, but that all of their needs are satisfied and met. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, you see this imagery of God saying, I am like a shepherd to his sheep. And so when Jesus makes a statement now in John chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd, he's hearkening back to all of this prophetic imagery from the Old Testament, and he's pointing to himself. He's saying God is not some foreign entity any longer up there in heaven while you're down here on earth trying to figure out how to bridge the gap. No, he has sent me. I am the God man among you. 
Just as there was a shepherd rock for Israel, I am your rock. I am the one here to lead you beside the still waters and to make you lie down in safety in green pastures. I'm the one who's gonna pick you up and carry you close to my heart. I'm the one who's gonna fulfill all of your desires and all of your needs. As he's saying here, he said in all of the other I am statements, I'm not just a prophet, I'm not just a preacher, I'm not just a miracle worker, I am God in human flesh among you. The Messiah is with you. I am the good shepherd that you've been waiting for. That's what he's saying here. I'm God with you, God among us. So, so, so that's Jesus. He is the good shepherd in this story. But if God's the good shepherd, then it becomes pretty obvious who we are in the story, right? <laughs> We're the sheep, the sheeple, that's us. Which might sound a little enduring, or, uh, endearing at first, like, oh, we're just sheep. You get that picture of Dutch Jesus with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, kind of holding the little lamb in the painting. You're, I'm just a lamb in the hands of my Savior. That's me. Hallelujah. But what might sound endearing is actually a bit more revealing and potentially insulting. Allow me to explain. Um, I was reading a book that I remembered was on my shelf this past week as I started studying shepherds and sheep. Uh, it was given to me years ago by a friend at Jews for Jesus. And it's written by a guy who is a pastor in Southern California, but his family comes from a long line of shepherds in Israel. And at the beginning of his book, he begins to explain the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. In the first chapter, he does a very exhaustive job of explaining how frustrated a shepherd gets with the sheep because of what he says is the way that sheep are. It reminds me of the office. Why are you the way that you are? It's exactly what he's talking about. And uh, he writes this, and I apologize in advance if it offends you, but this is the truth. He says, sheep are essentially helpless and stupid animals. They can't provide for their own food like lions or tigers. They can't defend themselves from predators. They've got no speed and no strength. They have no natural defense like claws or sharp teeth. They can't climb trees. They can't dig tunnels. They can't swim across rivers. And they have no camouflage. Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> sheep are easily frightened. They're literally scared of their own shadow. And to make matters worse, sheep are notoriously stubborn. Even when people try to help them, they resist and they rebel. Above all this, sheep have propensity to wander and an incredibly poor sense of direction. If a sheep gets lost, it will literally just lay down. <laughs> it won't even try to find its way back home. Unless a shepherd goes out and finds it, a lost sheep is essentially a dead sheep. Selah. <laughs> Stop and think and worship on that for a moment. <laughs> yeah, this is what God says we're like. In fact, if he uses the adjective good to describe himself as the shepherd, perhaps the adjective best used to describe us is dumb. <laughs> the good shepherd and the dumb sheep. His insinuation, not mine. But before you get offended, and like, Pastor Tim, I hate you. I'm never coming back to this place. There is one redeeming quality that Jesus makes mention of here in this text. I would argue it eclipses all of the negative things that we saw about the sheep. Because while we might be prone to wander, incapable of protecting ourselves, stubborn when the shepherd tries to help us, Jesus also reminds us that the sheep have the ability to respond to the voice of the shepherd. He says, my sheep will know my voice and they will come back to me. That tells me that even when I'm wandering, even when I'm a dumb sheep out there in the wilderness far from God, 
I still have some ears that are tuned in to the voice of my Savior. And as I drift away, he is faithful to call back to me and say, come back home to the shepherd. And I can tell four of you are excited about that. So let me explain to you why that is a very big deal. The Bible says that the voice of God is majestic and powerful, that it splits the cedars and it twists the mighty oaks. Genesis says that it was the voice of God that created the entire earth. Everything we see was created by his word. Isaiah 55 says that the word of the Lord never returns void. It always accomplishes what it's set out to accomplish, which tells me if I can hear the voice of the powerful and majestic shepherd, then I can experience the realities of what his voice can produce. One word from the mouth of God can heal sickness. One word from the mouth of God can open blind eyes. Come on, one word from the mouth of God God can part the waters and move the mountains and resurrect the dead back to life. One word from your good shepherd can transform your situation in an instant. So while we might wander and while we might not be able to defend ourselves, our claws may be dull, but our ears are sharp to the voice of our Savior. And when he calls, not only can we return, but we can experience his realities. And all the sheep said, Amen, yes. Don't use that ever again in this sermon, okay? <laughs> I might lose it. Amen, Pastor. Okay, so we've got Jesus, good shepherd. Us, not so good sheep. But there is one additional character in this story that we need to identify before we can truly apply what Jesus is trying to tell us here. In verse one, he is called a thief. In verse 5, he's called a stranger. In verse 12, he is a predator. John will later describe him as the accuser of the brethren and the father of lies. I'll give you one guess who he is. Yeah, the arch, <laughs> the devil, <laughs> the arch enemy of the sheep himself. Yes, Satan, the devil, el diablo. The one who it says in verse 10 has the sole job description to steal, to kill, and destroy all of the sheep. And according to the story, Jesus tells us that this predator is actually a wolf. He's played by the part of a wolf. So now we have our characters, the shepherd, the sheep, and the big bad wolf. True story, I actually had costumes for all three of those characters in my Amazon cart this week, and I was ready to purchase them, but I'm like, nah, that's taking props a little bit too far. So it's just me today, I got no props, all right? And, and I left those in the Amazon cart. Robin caught me, she's like, what are these in the Amazon cart? I'm like, nothing, it's fine, don't worry about it, it's fine. So now that we've identified our characters, I think it becomes a little bit easier to, to see what Jesus is speaking of here. The plot begins to bubble to the surface. What, what might look like a chaotic collection of analogies, gates and sheep and shepherds and, and hirelings, this is really nothing more than an allegory for life. Jesus is trying to remind us of our reality. This is what the life of faith looks like and we have all experienced this before. He says, hey, don't forget, you got a real enemy. You, you, you've got someone who likes to prowl on sheep like a wolf Someone who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything I'm trying to do in your life. Don't go about your way and forget that there's someone who is always on the prowl ready to attack you, and he does not play fair. 
He will hit below the belt. He will go for your family. He will go for your kids. He will go for your finances. He'll come after your affections and your desires. He will do whatever he can possibly do to decimate your life and destroy your faith. But while that might be the message of this parable, there's also a promise that has been woven in. And that promise is, yeah, you might have an enemy, but you've also got a God. You've got a God that wants to protect his sheep. In fact, if I could distill this entire thing down to two words, it would be this, divine protection. You wanna know what these entire 15 verses are about? It's about divine protection. He's saying, if you are a sheep in my pasture, you need to know that you've got a shepherd that will protect you on all sides. You got a shepherd that cares deeply about your protection. Listen, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, let me remind you, you have been promised protection by your shepherd. And furthermore, he explains exactly to us how he goes about protecting us in both of these two statements. In keeping with the title of our chat, both of them involve him laying down. Uh, let's go to the first one. Jesus says, I am the gate. John chapter 10, verse seven. Very truly, I tell you, he says, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Will be saved. Now, confession, when I read this and began to study this week, I thought I had a pretty clear grasp on what Jesus was trying to say here. My assumption, perhaps like many of our assumptions, was that Jesus is speaking of eternity in this portion of the text. Like all of the other things we've talked about, the bread, the way, the truth, the life, the light, I thought that Jesus was saying, I am the gate that gets you into eternity. Uh, it's that Revelation 21 language where John tells us about these pearly gates that is the image we all see when we think about heaven that, uh, that lead into the holy city. And so in my mind, Jesus is saying, hey, the only way to get into the city is through me, through that gate. Which is, which is true, by the way. Uh, let's not forget what we learned a few weeks ago. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one makes it to the Father except through him. There are not many roads up the mountain. There are not many religions up the mountain. You don't get to an eternity with Christ by good behavior. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that gets us into an eternity with the Father, period. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is not a statement about eternity. This actually has nothing to do with heaven and everything to do with protection. Apparently, in biblical times, uh, when shepherds would lead their flocks out into the wilderness to graze and find food, if it started to get late and they realized there was too much distance between them and the city or the town that they came from, they would find something called a sheepfold in the hills of Judea and a sheepfold was essentially a uh, rock structure of walls that was built into the side of a hill with a single entry point, a doorway, where all of the sheep could come in and exit from. And as the sheep made their way into the sheepfold and night fell, a good shepherd would not just leave that doorway exposed, but instead, as it got dark, the shepherd would literally lay down in front of that doorway to ensure that the sheep did not get out and nothing from the outside got in. The shepherd would literally become the gateway for the sheep. This is pretty comfortable. Stay here for a little bit. 
And, and why did the shepherd have to lay down? Well, because anywhere there's sheep, there's bound to be some predators. In this case, in our story, the wolf. When I read this, I, I, I was asking myself, why did Jesus use a wolf? Because wolves were not the only predators in biblical times. In fact, they weren't even the most dangerous predators in biblical times. I'm not making this up. There were literally lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, in the wilderness. And we read about them all the time in the scriptures that would threaten the lives of the sheep. And if this is supposed to represent the enemy, the devil, why didn't Jesus use one of the more dangerous predators to describe the enemy? A bear or a lion? Why a wolf? But then as I began to think about it, it hit me. I think the reason Jesus used wolves is because wolves are nocturnal. They hunt their prey at night. They wait until it's dark to prey on the sheep. A wolf doesn't do it in broad daylight where the sheep might see him coming and it's obvious and then they can run away and flee. Instead, he waits till the covering of night when the sheep least expect it before he pounces. Come on, are you picking up what I'm putting down? <laughs> you mopping up what I'm spilling today? You eating what I'm slicing? <laughs> How many have ever been attacked by the wolf at night before? In a dark season, when you're disoriented and confused and you don't know which way is right or left, when you got hit with bad news, the diagnosis, the relationships falling apart, the school you thought you were gonna get into rejected you, and, and you don't know where to go or where to turn, and it's in those moments where depression or anxiety, where the enemy tries to overcome and question whether your existence is even worth it, and, and you find yourself in that dark place grappling for a way to cope, and you just don't know how to get out of it. The darkness just begins to seep in, and suddenly you feel the the fangs of the wolf in your back. That's how the wolf works. He does not play fair. He does not come at you and you can see it and go, nope, I know that's the devil. I'm gonna go this way right over here. No, he waits till you're disoriented. He waits till it's dark. He waits till you can't see him and that's when he attacks. But thank God for the promise of this parable. That yes, I may have a wolf that is after me at night, but I also have a good shepherd that sits down as a gateway for my enemy and says, if you want to get to my sheep, you're going to have to come through me first. Come on, you have a God that stands at the doorway and says, you're going to have to go through me first. And, and listen, to be clear, this doesn't mean that you're never going to go through some stuff. It doesn't mean there's no sickness or, or, or no lack or, or no problems there might still be some deaths in the family, some things we have to navigate through. The sun sets on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. The sheep in our story, they still had to deal with darkness. But the promise is that when darkness falls and when the enemy prowls around the camp, you have a God that will not let your enemy completely take you out. You will be protected. You'll be protected. There is, however, one way you can forfeit that protection. There is one way you can become wolf bait. How? By wandering. What's that old song? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Yeah, he's singing about sheep. 
You know where sheep get into trouble? When they wander. When they're supposed to be found among the fold, in the house of God, among the community of God, in proximity to the shepherd. But then they wander. As night begins to fall, they look around and realize that they're exposed and by themselves in the wilderness because they wandered away from the teachings of God, the person of Jesus, the relationship they had, the community that loved them. And here they are out in the wilderness. And it's amazing how when sheep get attacked in isolation in the wilderness, they begin to blame the shepherd for what's taking place. God, I, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. I thought, I thought you were the good shepherd that loved me. Where did you go? Nowhere, but you did. You wandered. And if I could say something that isn't very popular, doesn't grow churches, but it is the truth, I would remind us of this today. God's protection is not some limitless banner that is owed to humanity. His protection is not something guaranteed to everybody on planet Earth. No, his protection is reserved for the sheep of his pasture. You can wander outside the protection of God if you so choose. But if you do, you don't get to shake your fist at God and blame him for the wolf attack that you're facing right then. No, that wolf attack is on you, sunshine. Your protection is only guaranteed in the gathering, in the space of the sheep, in proximity to the shepherd. That wolf might be on you. And while we're talking about wolves, let me remind us of another warning that Jesus hints at this, in this text. One that isn't quite about stealing, killing, and destroying, but one that is more about scattering. And another bit of advice, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Beware of wolves and sheep's clothing. Jesus hints at it here, but he talks about it in some of the other gospels in Matthew. Look at what he says here in Matthew chapter seven, verse 15. He says, Beware of those who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Apparently, one of the wolves' ways, when they can't attack the sheep from the outside, they try to scatter them from within. They'll elbow their way into the sheep, dressed up like a harmless sheep, but even though they sing the same songs and go to the same church and appear to have the same convictions, when an opportunity presents itself, they will attempt to scatter sheep. They'll get divisive, they'll get weird, they'll start preying on people. And sadly, this is a wolf that I am all too familiar with. You know, part of my job as a pastor is to be what the Bible calls an under-shepherd of the sheep. I, like you, am just one of the baby lambs in the arms of Jesus, that's me. And some days I need to be there more than others. But part of my calling and purpose on planet Earth is to help in the process of protecting sheep. In fact, the Greek word for pastor is the word poimon, which means shepherd. And so I am an under shepherd and part of my job is to ensure that the flock that God entrusts to us here at the Father's house is well protected because there's a lot of wolves out there. There's wolves that wanna make their way into the community of God and divide the people. Wolves that wanna prey on young believers and propagate doctrine or theology that is inaccurate and unbiblical. Wolves that want to come in here and find someone and sleep with them so they can go to the next church and do the same thing. Come on, let's be honest. 
Wolves that are all about trying to get on the stage but don't want to serve. They want notoriety and fame, but they're not really a part of the community. Wolves that want to use this place as their downline where they can prospect and find people to benefit their business. Wolves that want to gossip and create schism and division, and it's getting a little bit quiet in here, but come on, there's some wolves out there. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. That's the reality. Wolves come in all shapes, sizes, and ages, but they have this thing in common. They tend to look like sheep at first. But there will come a day, mark my words, it always happens where the fangs of the wolf show up. And when a wolf reveals itself in the community of sheep, my job as the under-shepherd is not to try to negotiate with the wolf or to make a safe space for the wolf or hope that I can keep them around long enough so they might be able to start acting like a sheep. No, it is to be vigilant about protecting the flock that God has built here at the Father's house from wolves that want to divide. That is my job. I got all the patience in the world for sheep in process, all right? You could be a sheep messing stuff up, blowing up things over here in your small group, saying things you shouldn't say, but you're in process, getting developed. I'm cool with that. But I have zero tolerance for wolves. The closest I get to ratchet is when a wolf tries to come up inside this place and divide what God is doing. I like, I like to think I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm all kinds of fun to hang out with. That's what I tell myself most of the time. But I will get ghetto on a wolf up in here, okay? I turn into Bonquiqui. I will cut you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And sorry, not sorry if this sounds threatening or unpastoral, but I'm going to say it because it needs to be said, and I want to be clear about this. The easiest way to be cordially uninvited to this community and to have your picture subsequently sent to every other under-shepherd in this city marking you as a wolf is to try to walk into this place and divide what God is doing in this beautiful collection of sheep on any given Sunday morning. No, I love this house, and I am, I, if my job is still in place, I'm gonna do everything in my power to ensure that it is protected from some wolves. That's not what a sheep does. <laughs> And if I, a broken, messed up individual, yes, your pastor, cares so deeply about the safety of some sheep, how much more your heavenly father who loves his sheep, who has done everything to ensure that they are protected, you better believe that your enemy is your God's enemy this morning. He will deal aggressively and appropriately with enemy, any, enemy, enemy, any enemy that wants to come in and steal, kill, and destroy what God wants to do in your life. He loves you too much to let a wolf prowl on his sheep. Your protection is his prime consideration. So much so that he will give up his life for the protection of his sheep. Don't forget, I know we've been talking about gates all day, but don't forget the other statement Jesus made of himself. I am the good shepherd who will lay down my life for my sheep. And that is not just some pretty poetic language that Jesus is using here in this text to paint some uh, picture about this analogy, no, this is prophetic declaration. This is exactly what Jesus would do later in the book of John. He would literally lay down his life and give it up for his sheep. When you and I were in the wilderness of our wandering, when our lives, because of sin, had earned death, according to Romans 6.23, when we wanted nothing to do with God and this chasm separated the two of us, our good shepherd left his home of heaven and he came to dwell among his people here on earth. He walked right into the wilderness and he snatched us from the fangs of our enemy. And he didn't just say, you can run free, sheep, but he looked at the enemy square in the eye and said, you can have me in exchange. I will give my life so that my sheep can go free. I'm the good shepherd. 
And that's what a good shepherd does. This is not just a story, friends. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the reason we're all sitting in this room this morning. Because we deserve to die, but Jesus gave up his life for us. And in exchange, we received the righteousness and the freedom that only he could have afforded to us. I am the good shepherd that gives up my life for my sheep. And man, as I was prepping this this week, I could not help but see this picture, this image of some sheep scattered in the wilderness. I could not help but picture people sitting here this morning like proverbial sheep wandering out in the darkness, longing to be back in the fold, longing to be back in the protection of their shepherd, but they feel the breath of the enemy breathing down their neck. And, and, and let me just say this, if that's you today, if maybe you come to church and sing songs, but you feel like you're in a dis- at a distance from the shepherd, here's the good news for you today. When you can't make your way to the shepherd, the shepherd will make his way to you. He'll come chase you down. Remember, this is not the only parable of a shepherd and his sheep in the scriptures. In fact, there's some famous ones that we've all read before probably, both in Matthew and Luke's gospel. And today, if you are a sheep out in the wilderness, I want you to hear the voice of your shepherd speaking from this beautiful story in Luke chapter 15 as we prepare to close. And and worship team, you guys can come. Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. What's Jesus saying here? Simple. When you can't make your way to the shepherd, the shepherd chases you down and makes his way to you. I think I've shared this story before, but it's been a while and we read the same Bible stories over and over again, so I get to recycle them occasionally as well. Uh, At the beginning of our tenure as a church, about six months after we planted, um, we were working with an outreach organization in the Tenderloin downtown and serving the under-resourced in uh, our community on a Saturday. And uh, at the conclusion of that event, a number of us who'd gone to serve decided we were gonna go have lunch together at the Westfield Mall, go down to the food court and uh, hit up Chipotle. And among the families that came with us uh, were the Barch family. Uh, If you don't know the Barch family, they are many. Uh, There is eight children and two parents. Uh, Isaac right there runs all of our production in the back. Love you, Isaac Barch. And uh, his son, Isaac Jr. up there runs all of our lights. And uh, so they brought their tribe with them to the, uh, to the mall with us to have, have lunch. And as we're approaching Chipotle, uh, we look around and we notice that one of the Barch kids is missing. We're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, wait, we're missing a kid. And I immediately start to freak out. Isaac is cool as a cucumber. He's just, he does well under pressure, which is why he, he does that job so well. But I'm like, bro, this is downtown San Francisco. You do not want to leave your kid out here. This is a bad place for your kid. And so we immediately disperse and start searching all around the mall to try to find his child, who will remain nameless because I don't want to embarrass him here. And so we're going from store to store to store and I'm, Bloomingdale's, no, he's not in there. He's not in Zara, not in h H&M. This kid better not be in Victoria's Secret, all right? I'm not going in there. 
And I can't find him anywhere, neither can Isaac. So I go over to the Nordstrom area of the mall and the slowest elevators on planet earth, you know, floor by floor by floor, trying to find this kid. And he's nowhere to be found. Finally, after a little over half an hour, Isaac calls me and he's like, hey, don't worry, I found fill in the blank. We can go down and we can finally eat lunch. And uh, I breathe a sigh of relief and I thank God for birth control. And uh, I make my way over to lunch with the rest of the crew. But I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. Imagine if upon discovering that one of his children was missing, Isaac looked at me and he said, eh, that's okay. I got seven more. I mean, that's more than most people, right? I mean, I'm doing pretty good grading on a curve. And some of them are sons. They can carry down the family name and do the chores. No big deal. We'll leave that one here. I'll just work with what I got. No. No sane parent would ever do that. No sane parent who loves their child would leave them out there in the wilderness of the Westfield Mall. Even if Isaac had a hundred children, which is not an impossibility at this point, he would not be comfortable leaving one of his flesh and blood out there in the mall and settle for the 99 that he had left over. He would do everything within his power to bring that child back into the family where they belong. So if a broken natural father cares that deeply about his child, why on earth would we ever think that our heavenly father does not care that much about his sheep? Why would we ever believe he's got enough people, he's got enough obedient sons and daughters, that they'll be fine, I'll just stay out here in the wilderness. Absolutely not. You are a child of the good shepherd and as long as you have your, his blood running through your veins, he will chase you down in whatever wilderness you find yourself in and drag you back to the fold. And so today, if you are at a distance, here's what you need to understand. Bah, sheep, your good shepherd has chased you down to the corner of 19th and Sloat. He's found you this morning. He's got his eyes on you. You're not out there in the wilderness wandering by yourself anymore. The good shepherd has made his way to your wandering space. And he's asking, will you let me carry you back to the fold? As the story tells us, it says he throws the sh sheep over his shoulders. He's not gonna force you, but he will lay down and he'll say, hey, do you wanna hop on? You done wandering? You done leaving your life exposed to the wolf? You done getting attacked? You done trying to process why you're walking through what you're walking through right now? Come on, hop on my shoulders and let me carry you back to the protection of the fold where you belong. And today, if that's where you're at, that's the invitation. Will you let the good shepherd pick you up and carry you home? If so, I'll invite you in just a moment to pray with me and you can be back in the sheepfold where you belong. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these declarations you make of yourself. Before we invite the sheep to come back, first and foremost, I thank you for your protection over our lives. Let me just speak to those who might say, I'm in the fold, but 
and it just I'm looking through that doorway and I see the enemy out there and it feels like he's he's circling me right now picture your shepherd standing in that gateway saying if you want to get to my sheep you have to go through me first thank you for your protection I feel the Holy Spirit would even say you don't even understand some of the things I've protected you from the things that could have happened but never did because I've been keeping watch over my sheep God we thank you for the things seen and unseen the protection we're aware of and the protection we've just enjoyed as a result of being in your flock and for all those here today who may have felt that there was a chasm between them and the shepherd you sense him right there in the middle of your wilderness inviting you to come back home if that's you I want to pray a prayer of commitment with you before we conclude this morning and if you need to be included in that prayer say Tim I'm, I'm coming back to Jesus or I'm coming to him for the first time right now be bold would you just quickly slip up your hand and look at me and say that's me I need to be included in this today got you both you guys awesome right there yeah right here awesome yeah cool got you over there yes got you in the back hallelujah anybody else yeah okay cool all right church here we're gonna we're gonna pray this with all these making this decision today so they don't feel alone in their prayer repeat after me say Jesus today I give you my life I thank you for giving yours for mine Forgive me of my sin. Help me to be your follower from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name. And the flock said, amen. Come on, the Bible says that angels do backflips in heaven when a child comes back home. Let's thank God for all those making that decision today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.